Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art. I like to paint monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Czar. We are recording. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chet. How are you? I am good. <laughs> Should we talk like robots for the whole episode? Yeah, I don't know. I always every every time I do an intro, I'm like, that was so stupid. Why do I always do it so stupid? <laughs> it's because we don't even think about it. We're yeah. just like we end up. We're like we should be recording because we're already talking. It happens every single time. Yeah, whatever, whatever. But so, you've had a busy day, right? Yes, it's my busy time of the year. Uh, actually, the day this airs, which is Wednesday, is my last day for priority mail shipping to get everything out in time for Christmas. So, oh yeah. So if you're listening to this and you did not order your Chet Czar, you are not getting it until after Christmas <laughs> should have got, should have been faster. Yeah. They, well, technically you could order stuff Wednesday and I could get it out by the end of Wednesday, but you'd be pushing it. But if anybody does want to order stuff and pay extra for express mail, I could do that. Do. They'd have to email me, but um, yeah, so things are busy, uh, but I'm almost, you know, I'm almost caught up getting things out a little early, uh, couple days early so there's a little cushion there and uh yeah just getting once that stuff's all out too i've got a commission to finish and i've got dystopia to finish dystopia, dystopia artwork a lot of those did you ever look at that uh so the update i did the dystopia update i have still not read the update uh, <laughs> you should, go, you should look at it right now you should look at it right now it's so cool got, looking there's like five things on the list you have for me that I'm supposed to do that I still have yet to get to. And some of them are superfluous. Some of them are like videos of things I don't really care to watch, but I will. And then there are other things that are more important. And that update is on the top of the list, I promise you. But above that is the dystopia flags that I owe you for rewards. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, so we all, got, we, all, we all have our things we've got to get done here. And that, that's higher on the list. But I will read the update, nevertheless. Yes. And I, I will... Uh... I also owe you um, something for your Kickstarter. So, well, Chet's getting <laughs> down on the Mysterian Kickstarter. We're just cross pollinating left and right. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, uh, uh, you know, use all your avenues, support each well, other. And I, yeah, and I see that you know you brought up Mysterian. I see that the decks are hitting people's houses now, which is super exciting to actually see this thing that I thought up with joy, and that now is like people are getting into the mail and showing pictures and posting quotes and. Like, how cool is that, right? It's very cool. I've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that fun? Yeah, it is I, fun. It's I, super I en- gratifying. I enjoy the the whole, uh, you know, I don't know, sales, transaction, shipping, and seeing people get them. It's kind of cool, really, when you, when you, you know, get past the, the whole... Uh, uh, I don't know the, 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 the marketing angle that nobody wants to deal with, but once you get into it you get your, you know, your boxes, the right size boxes that you need and all your bubble wrap and your supplies and you have a system, it's actually kind of an enjoyable, really. I, I find there's it. a, there's a Zen to it yeah. for sure. Like yeah. the process of, of packing and labeling and stuff. Well, yeah, for anybody that doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about, which I'm sure there are people listening that don't Mysterian is an all in one Oracle and card game that I created and kickstarted uh, this last, well, during this year, but it feels like last year already, but it was this year in 2017. And uh, it's the first ever quote divination system, which is kind of sounds like, Whoa, what is that? Because I just made it up. So, I mean, we're just trying to figure out what it is, <laughs> but it's just a cool card thing that's 
super easy and you're, you're able to basically access a word and a number for the day, which unlocks a daily quote. And it's, uh, you know, you're like tapping into the collective unconscious. So it's just fun that we created this thing and we envisioned it and we collaborated with a bunch of amazing other artists, Lee Shamel and Josh Geyser and got great people on board like Andrew Hawkins and Chris Hackard and, you know, and you and yeah, it's just really fun. And now to see it in people's homes and see these quotes that they're getting from using this divination system. It's just, yeah, it's a new thing for me. I've never had a product as it were. I mean, I like to paint monsters, the documentary about you, the only, you know, you're the one that sells that product really, because you have the ability to do it. And, uh, so yeah, so that's not really something I've gotten to have the same gratification. Although I do get to see pictures of it in people's homes, which is fun yeah. and have them be excited about it and write great reviews on iTunes and stuff. So anyway, done tooting my own horn. I'm just excited about bop, it. Bop, 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 bop. <laughs> Chad always does the machine gun at me when I'm talking too fast. And this is me on slow-mo. <laughs> slow-mo. Well, you want to get to the topic at hand? I suppose so. <laughs> uh, yeah. So <clears throat> today we're going to talk about art etiquette. And that was this was inspired by Liz McGrath's interview because she um, – what was it that she said specifically? Because you kind of came up with the idea, right? Didn't you? Well, I think that actually Eric Tengren mentioned it to you. Uh, on a okay. Facebook uh, uh, thread, oh, right, and you mentioned right, to you right. that I don't want to take credit for it. I think I piggybacked off of it, but I think it was actually Eric who originally brought yeah, it up. Yeah, he was saying pet peeves and art etiquette and things like that. So I'm down with that. A lot. She, yeah. she brought up a lot of interesting points. So I wouldn't know where to start. So maybe you could. Well, think I think about a good question that you know. I think a good question that I had coming into this whole entire world, really in being kind of an interloper. <laughs> into <laughs> yeah, she this. mentioned, she kept mentioning interlopers and I know she doesn't know anything about the interlopers and dystopia. So every time I she know. said interloper, Mike would be like making some motion with his hand about the little thing coming off their heads or like I smiling. Making little hooks off <laughs> yeah. the side of my head and stuff. <laughs> well, I had to use the word again, but it's true because like, you know, I, I kind of just like, squeezed through a back door into this whole world. And, and so I didn't know anything, you know, so I was watching you, but I was like soaking up all the knowledge you wanted to pitch me about how things work. And so I was curious right away. I was like, okay, well, how does etiquette work when you're, let's say you're, you're going to be in a group show, right? And this is for artists out there. You know, you're going to be in a group show and you have this piece you're working on and this group show is going to happen, you know, can, do you can you sell that piece before the show or do you have to wait until you're actually in the show and then have it sold through the show? Great, and that yeah. was something that I butted yeah. up against. Right. You remember that. So yeah. I'd like to you know have you provide some information on that for other people. Yeah, that, that's a great starting point, because believe it or not, I mean, it sounds uh, sounds crazy. But, you know, when when you have it sounds crazy to me, but I guess to other people who have never done it. It's they don't, it's not crazy because because it's happened before, but occasionally when I curate a group show, I'll get my art, ask my artists and everyone agrees. And, and, um, people have sent artwork and said, it's not for sale. And, you know, from a curator standpoint, it's like, that's, you know, that's not really acceptable because the gallery has to sell the artwork to make, to keep the doors open. So, you know, you can't have a piece. You can't just assume that it's okay to show up piece and put not for sale on it not unless you if it's an amazing piece and you're like maybe a big time artist and it's going to benefit the gallery to have you just your name in the show like a kazu or something yeah or a mark ryden or someone big time like that and have it not be for sale then then that's that's a different story but generally you know you can't put pieces in 
as not for sale, um, just because that's kind of, you know, the point, the, uh, the underlying point of the show, aside from people seeing art and all the good stuff that comes with that is to sell mm -hmm. the artwork. So, you know, a gallery is mm -hmm. not going to look kindly upon that. And, um, yeah, you have to, or, or you can't like sell the piece ahead of time to somebody and then say, Oh, I, I'm going to hang on to it and show it in this show. Right. You know? Right. Because the whole well, thing that's, and go ahead. Sorry. Oh, just the whole, that's the whole thing is the gallery is, um, <clears throat> needs to make their piece and, um, piece of the, they need to make their cut. And so they're banking that, you know, a small percentage of the pieces are going to sell at least, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, you, you put a show on and nothing sells. I've had that happen plenty of times as a curator, just because for whatever reason, you know, my Ouija board show, which I thought was a great concept, had tons of great, and this was years ago, tons of great Ouija boards and pretty much nothing sold, you know, mm. which was mm. really weird. I don't, for, but for whatever. Before it's time, obviously. I mean, now <laughs> they've got, now they've got Ouija boards on, you know, knee high socks and stuff. Yeah, this was yeah. like before was Ouija before, boards yeah. on knee high socks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was kind of before it's time. Definitely. And I know people have done Ouija board shows as well since, mm -hmm. but, um, so anyway, uh, I don't know. What my well, and I, I would also was. interject there, you know, here's the bad side of it. Here's if you screw up and you, you make the wrong decision. Cause see, I learned the hard way kind of, which is to say that I had a piece, it was going to be in the show and you know, I made a deal to sell it. I needed the money, you know, it's a classic at what everybody does, but I didn't know any better. Right. And that, that's cause I'm this interloper. So I had no fucking idea what I was doing, that that was like the wrong etiquette, you know, and you can make an enemy in that situation situation. Well, ultimately, you know, you and I are close. And so I was able in advance, I, I thought to myself, Hey, maybe that's not cool that I did that. Mm -hmm. And I said something to you and then you were like, okay, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. You know, I understand you did that, but you know, we'll roll with it. It's no big deal, but here's the outcome of that. And this is what, what I'll tell the artists out there is that even if you do find someone cool like you, the piece isn't going to be out with a spotlight on it with everybody else's stuff. So even if it gets shown, you made this deal, but you're not really going to get the glory of having shown it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately the gallery has to say, well, we have to make space for the pieces here that are going to right. make money. Yeah. You're not going to get so the prime spot up, if, it, if it's right. already sold for sure. Yeah, you so know? you know, like me, you'll end up in a show, you know, a glass showcase box with a bunch of curios, but you won't be able to see it really, you know, which is fine. And I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, saying anything bad. I'm just saying that if you do make that mistake or if you decide, well, I'm going to do it anyway, you may end up really getting the shit end of the stick. So, you know, it's yeah. just, it's, it's a good warning for people out there. I think. Yeah. Not to mention the gallery is not going to be happen so, happy. So it's not a good way to start a good relationship with the gallery, you know, to right. do something like that. Um, I'm trying to think there's been other things too, where, uh, Oh, people will, this is a, another no, no is, People, some buyers will go to an artist and say, uh, if you sell that to me after the show, if it doesn't sell, you know, can I get it for half price? Because that's how much you were going to get anyway. Right. And, and I've made this point before, but you should never lower your sell wholesale to people like that unless you're selling to a gallery or a re re reseller, you know, because mm -hmm. that's really, really uncool. No gallery. Um, it doesn't better. It's bad. All the galleries will get pissed off and, and, um, you know, even other artists, it's not good to do for, because we all have to kind of agree with this sort of standard where mm -hmm. our prices are consistent and we're not doing any like 
wholesale deals to to people you know if it's one thing if it's a friend or something like that and it's kind of a behind the scenes but you know it's it's i i know also some people that have shown and they show in a gallery they're new to it they don't know any better they show in a gallery and all of a sudden you know they have to they're they're say their their work is five hundred dollars for for a certain size or whatever and mm-hmm. they will get in a gallery show and instead of saying okay well i'm in a gallery show i'm going to lose 50 percent. i'm only going to get 250 that for this they'll raise it to a thousand so that they get their uh. 500 but you know which is okay if you want to take that chance of doubling your price but you have to after the show you have to have your prices all at a thousand bucks instead of 500 right. because then it's like why why would anybody buy for twice as much at a gallery for something that's worth half as much if you're mm-hmm. selling directly on the open market. Yeah. Cause what you're selling consistently for is really what your work is worth. So, right. You know, it, 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 most of this stuff is kind of common sense if you just stop and think about it, but it's, sure. but it is kind of a weird new world for most people. It's, it's unusual. It's an unusual kind of business model. It's like a consignment mm-hmm. thing. And, and it's, you know, it is, it is kind of, it's different, I think, than most other businesses. So, so it's easy to get confused about it. So, yeah. Well, and I think it's important to answer that stuff straight out because these are the questions that people probably aren't even addressing in their own minds, you know, on a surface level. Right. And these are the things that you're going to butt up against eventually, just like I did, even though I wasn't ever planning on doing that, I ended up doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, another question that I have is like, that's in line with the group show thing and the curation thing is like, how about shipping, you know, because you have to receive these galleries have to receive these artists that are shipping this work from all over, you know, mm-hmm. from different states, different countries and stuff like that. You know, what's going to make the best impression and what's the best way to prepare that stuff so that you're going to have a good ongoing relationship with the curator in the gallery? Well, that's another great question. Um, You know, obviously you should pack things, you know, to withstand a bomb blast. I mean, every year we get a broke, we get a couple broke, broken pieces show up broken for conjoined every year it happens because we have like a hundred artists in that show. So, um, and some stuff you would not believe how it's shipped. Like <laughs> some stuff's like, are you serious? You know, some something they're just like thrown in a box with no padding or just like one layer of bubble wrap and you could actually shake it around. I mean, it should be on the, on the other hand, the people that um, do it right. Uh, what is her name? Ah, uh, she does this. Sabrina Brewer, I believe she does like weird taxidermy where she, she puts like different taxidermy and uh, animals together, like two headed mm-hmm. ducks. Yeah. I've seen that stuff yeah. there. It's really great. I love that. Yeah. And she, she packs her, she, she sent this thing that was, I forget what it was. It was like some crazy duck thing. It was so the boy it was packed was, it was difficult to unwrap. It was packed so well, but like, you know, pretty much all the major feathers were were wrapped individually and she had tabs on everything and and instructions to say pull this piece out first then pull this piece out then pull this piece wow. out and you know and it made it in in uh in perfect shape so you know mm-hmm. that might be a little overdoing it but you definitely your piece should not move in a box you know it should it should when you shake it it shouldn't move at all and if anything moves it's you just just imagine someone kicking the box around because that's probably what's going to happen while it's while it's being mailed so you just have to kind of like 
uh, pretend that you know what what could I do to make this to where if someone kicked it, it would survive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know um, what that reminds me of? This is like totally a sideline, but well, this just threw me. When I was a kid, I went to this thing called Summer Safari, and we had to do this thing called the egg drop, where you had to like take an egg and you had to get a melt carton, and they gave you all this random stuff like sand and bubble wrap and like you know uh, styrofoam peanuts and crap, and you basically had to create a, a cushion around your egg, and then they took them up in a helicopter and dropped them from like super high. Oh, wow. And the only person that won was if you opened up your melt a carton. Helicopter. Yeah, and and your Why egg survived. <laughs> Why not and just there do were a like tower or something? No, it was like that it seems... was like because it was uh, the place that I went to this like preschool thing was um, like a, a related to the military, oh, so they weird. had access to that kind of stuff. How funny! And so they would yeah, and so that was like one of my favorite things because you'd like try to figure out how you could prep your egg in there with rubber bands or what are all the supplies right. they gave. You know, and I never made it. I never got an egg through ever. The egg always broke, you know. But anyway, it just made me think of that because that's kind of like how you have to treat it. It's like you're putting this egg in a box that then's going to get basically dropped from a helicopter. Right. That's the equivalent of what's going to happen to it in trans, right. you know. Yeah, so. yeah. You have to kind of prepare for the worst. If you hear any little kids in the background, it's because my granddaughters are here, just so you know. But um, daughters are the cutest things ever. They are so cute. They right Today they're dressed in, they're wearing like these matching red pajamas because it's pajama day it was pajama day at school so it's like really cute but uh anyway what was the other, the other thing was uh oh shipping so shipping generally it's understood when you're shipping to a gallery that the artist will pay to have the the piece shipped to the gallery and the gallery if the piece doesn't sell will pay to ship it back which is generally how it's done for conjoined we ask some artists to uh, pay their shipping back only because um, I hate the idea. Nobody likes the idea, but only because we have so many artists and the show, like, you know, it doesn't make that much money. You know, it really, <laughs> it, I don't know why, I don't know why it is, but um, we get tons of people at that show, but not a lot of buyers. Um, we do sell stuff, but you know, and if there's a good show where a lot of stuff sells, then we wouldn't ask that. But um mm-hmm occasionally, you know, that's, that's what happens. And if it's, you know, and if, if it's a good opportunity to get in a show and a gallery asks you, you know, to pay shipping back, it's, you know, it might be worth it. I would do that if, if I was able, if I, if I wanted to get in a good gallery and that was kind of the stipulation rather Mm -hmm. than, rather than getting offended that I have to pay, you know, I would, uh, I would probably do it if it was a gallery that was, you know, a little bit above where I'm, where I was used to showing, Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, um, so, but that is kind of generally the idea. It makes sense that the gallery would pay to ship back because, um, you know, you're, you're creating a piece on spec and you're paying for it to be shipped. And so they have to sell it. Part of the reason they'll sell it is to make their money, but then they won't have to pay to ship it back. You know, mm-hmm. so kind of there, both parties are kind of equally invested in a way, in sure. that way. Um, so <clears throat> also the other thing about conjoined, why, why we ask that sometimes is that sculpture is really difficult to ship and a hundred sculptures is really, I mean, it takes months to ship that stuff back. Sometimes it's crazy. It's really a crazy, crazy thing. Um, so anyway, 
I think that answered it. Did that answer? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's pretty solid information. I mean, and again, I think this is all good information for people that are interested in showing in, in galleries and showing with other artists and people that are just on the verge of kind of getting into that realm and wondering, well, you know, what do I do and what don't I do? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, how does that, you know, how does a a new artist go about pricing their work? You know what I mean? I I mean, should they sit down and look at their hourly time and say, well, my time's worth this amount of time or didn't didn't we didn't cover this before i think we mentioned uh, it before but i think it's worth mentioning again yeah yeah that, that's uh the hourly thing is does doesn't really work because um you know you're not really i i think most artists are not making a decent hourly rate until they're like 10 years into their career <laughs> you know it's i my if i charged hourly my paintings would be like three times more probably Yes. Someone's going, chat. Did you hear that? Chat. That's so funny. Um, looking through the keyhole. Uh, uh, yeah. So I just, when I, when I did the art, the fine art thing, decided to do it, I was just like, okay, I'm going to price reasonably. I, you know, I, I mentioned this story before. I priced low and raised them from there. And uh, there, there's, you know, one way to figure. So, so yeah, uh, hourly an hourly rate is not great. Um, prices should be consistent among different, you know, certain size pieces should all be, you know, priced similarly or the same, really, you know, consistency is important. Um, and, uh, uh, what was I going to say about, about that? I'm completely blanking. Uh, what about raising your prices? Yeah. You know, like yeah. each well, year, yeah, what, yeah, what's yeah. a reasonable percent? That that was uh, uh, 20%, 10 to 20% a year if you're selling. You know, if you're not selling, it doesn't make sense to raise your prices. <laughs> right. You know, if you are selling though, and, you know, I read one in some book that it said uh, if you, you, you should have 10 pieces of stock, 10, 10 artworks in your back stock if you don't have 10 pieces your prices are too low ah okay you know and i have and i don't have 10 pieces so i wonder if my prices are too low come to think of it i might have 10 pieces though but the thing is it's like my smaller pieces sell so many of the pieces you keep though not because you, you just yeah, you're just keeping them a, so you want to keep them. there's a couple but I, I do have it seems like larger pieces i i take take longer to sell for me but the 11 by 14s i don't really have anything the only thing i got yeah. is that that 12 by 12 painting I just posted in my store, that skull with the upside down jaw. Mm. That's like, that's it though. Everything else is 16 by 20 or 24 by 30 or 18 by 24. But, um, uh, the, I know what I was going to say. The pricing, the one pricing thing that makes sense to me is the square inches or square footage Mm-hmm. deal and i kind of tested this out on mine and it and it kind of does work as you change size you go up and down in size um you can basically you know figure out a one price that works that's a sellable mm-hmm. price you know settle on a price it's like okay i've sold three of these types of pieces at this price or five of these types of pieces at this price so i know this is a pretty good price point mm-hmm. and then you figure out i think you go you figure out the square inches of if it's a painting, the square inches of the painting by going, uh, you go 
uh, horizontally times the diagonal, mm-hmm. uh, the width or, you know, the height versus the width and, mm-hmm. you know, the painted surface. And then how do you figure that out again? <laughs> you figure out, oh, you, you, there's a way of figuring out, you know, the square inches of a piece, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you times the width and the height of the painted surface, and then you divide it by the price that you, you're selling it for. Mm, and then that gives okay. you, that gives you uh, the square, how much it is a square inch. Gotcha. So if you get one piece that's as a, as a good selling point, then when you do a larger piece, you just apply that formula to it. Uh, that's great. Or that's, a, that's, a, that's a great formula. Or a smaller piece. And it doesn't have to be absolutely exact, but it gives you a ballpark of where your larger and smaller pieces should be. Right, you know? right. Well, what about, what about artists saying, well, okay, maybe I should look at what other artists that I admire that are doing work that I consider to be as technically sound as what I'm doing or charging and giving themselves a ballpark by kind of getting an idea of what's, what, you know, what's out there, what's selling and what those people are charging. How about using that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great, uh, that's, that's what I did. That's a great way to go. But, But of course you can't look at an artist who's been, doing it for 15 years and say, I'm going to price it that you got to look at someone who's kind of on your skill level Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and in a similar vein and what they're getting. Cause you know, there's people that, you know, that I know that are, that are doing uh, stuff similar to what I'm doing and, you know, not really at the same skill level, but I think good enough to where some people might see it and not really know the difference Mm-hmm. And they charge way less, like five times less than I I am, which kind of kind of screws kind of screwy for me. It's not good for me, sure, because really, it's sort of undercutting my stuff, especially when it's really, uh, you know, inspired inspired is a nice way to put it by my stuff. Uh, okay. Okay. So that's, so that, 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 I guess that kind of brings us to another angle of the whole art etiquette thing, which is to say that if what you're doing is, is, you know, maybe even if not intentionally emulating or inspired, as you said, by another artist and you're charging a lot less, you know, but if you're not as technically sound as that, you know, is that unfair or, or do you, or right. is it, is, is it the buyer's world to have to know? Is it the collector that it has ca- to be able yeah. to identify what's good? And yeah, bad? it kind of is. It, it does kind of come down to the buyer to be educated on what is good and what isn't, you know, it's. So maybe that's part of this conversation on art etiquette is also to shifting away from the artist momentarily for these collectors out there that are listening to know what's good and right. know what's sound and be able to differentiate so that they're not contributing perhaps to someone that is engaged in that type of behavior. Yeah. 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 I agree. Totally, man. Um, it, it is, it does fall onto the collector and, and it is like, I've always said, it's a symbiotic relationship between the collector and the, and the buyer. And, um, they do have a responsibility to one another in a way, you know, to, to, um, the buyer really needs to know what they're buying. Although not, you know, not, I guess if you're a serious collector, you need to, 
you should. But if you you're know. just inspired by it, you saw the image and it really struck yeah, some you people and just, spoke to you, yeah, then, some, then that's all it needs, right? Right, yeah, that's true, that's true. Um, but at the same time, where does that, I mean, and again, we get into the kind of, the more of the quagmire of all of this, which is to say that, well, then where does this other artist draw that line for themselves? I mean, you know, how, how do we empower artists to, in their own way, have a filtering system to identify when their work is, crossing that line into yeah, I, something that someone else is doing. You, you know? know, I, I, that's a, that's a great point. I think that one thing to, to look for is, um, if someone keeps mistaking your work for someone else's, that's one, mm. th if it happens repeatedly, then maybe you have a problem with it, gotcha. you know, and you should change things. And, you know, I was really, really very aware when I started that I wanted to be unique and original and, you know, I would get compared to, Giger or Cam DeLeon sometimes or Bekshinsky. Mm -hmm. And I was really made a really concerted effort to develop my own thing and to do things differently than the people that inspired me. Mm -hmm. um, and as, over time it, you know, it, it develops, it's kind of like a, 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 you know, a, a, snowball it's just mm -hmm. you know once right. you start it'll it'll kind of take off on its own and you don't have to worry about it so much anymore but at first mm -hmm. it's 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 really important and you know i think we said this during the liz mcgrath podcast too that it really is kind of a disservice to yourself as an artist if you're not as original as you can possibly be and if you're not original why are you doing it you know the whole point of this really as an artist is to express your individual self. That's what makes sure. you special. That's what makes you different. That's what gives sure. the painting value is that your own unique perspective. And if you're, and if you don't have your own unique perspective, then you don't have anything. Then you're just kind of right. making, you're just making a product and selling it. And that's not well, what this is all about. In my and I'll mind. give you, I'll give you a good analogy for that. I remember I actually just remembered this story today. Interestingly enough, when I was in grade school, me and another one of my friends and I, we had this art club and, you know, it was, we were, you know, getting members. I, I'm talking like a <laughs> fourth, fifth grade, you know, we were getting our members for our art club. I did, this just dawned on me today. It's really funny. And there was one kid who wanted to be in it. I'm not going to say names, but he wanted to be in it. And we were like, okay, you got to do your best piece of art and come back in a couple days and show it to us. That was how we were rolling this game, you know? So he went and he did what he needed to do and he came back. And the thing is, not only had he traced his art out of a, out of some book, but he had done it on tracing paper. Oh my god! So it wasn't like it, it was even on you know like paper to use the light or anything. And it was so obvious; it was real shaky, you know. And of course, we you know we were like, well, no, you can't be in the club. You know what I mean? You have to be. In, why would you even want to be in the club if you're you know not a good artist? Because right. clearly he wasn't. And and the point is this that I'm making is is that if you want to be in the club because you just want to be belonging to the club then pick a different one because the <laughs> artist club is not about that it's not about right. belonging to the club granted that's what we'd like to do here with this cooperative effort is people have come together but it's you alone in your studio with your artwork that's the game right, <laughs> so yeah. you, you know should... if you have nothing to bring to the table other right. than tracing paper then just walk away and find a different club because there's right. plenty of clubs or, out there that you don't have to do artwork for or you know or work, <laughs> work harder on developing your own style because exactly. yeah, that's the thing is you, as much as, um, you know, you should come to this dark art thing as, oh, I feel like I'm part of something. You should also be like, w I, what am I contributing to it? You mm -hmm. know, every 
member or whatever of this, this uh, movement should be contributing something artistically, you Mm -hmm. know, and if you can't do it creatively, artistically, we talked about this, maybe it was with the Liz episode or I don't remember when it was, but you can, you know, promote, you can do whatever your strength is, but if you want to be an artist and, and in any scene, really, you, you need to be contributing to that scene by, by making sure that your voice is unique and it's, and really it's like a, it's a spiritual kind of thing because you have to, if you're not doing stuff that is uniquely you, then you're not truly in touch with who you are, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So if you, and if you're well, not, the more unique it gets, the more in touch you are. Right. So it's like, yeah. yeah, it's this, it's a process that's, that's going back and forth, you know, it's it takes, not like it, you know. yeah, it really takes some kind of effort and digging to get there, to find out who you are and what you really love and what you really, you know, want to express or have this desire well, to express. Well, not only that, but I think it would be fair to say that that evolves too. I mean, we're not in a, a vacuum. We're not static beings. You know what I mean? Who I was yesterday is not the same man I am today and nor is it the same man I will be tomorrow. Right. right. And so as our proclivities change, as we evolve, as we meet more people and that informs who we are as sentient beings in this world, that should be affecting the way in which you express mm-hmm. yourself artistically yeah, if you're yeah. doing it right. You know, so it's a game with yourself. Like Chet said before, you know, it, it's it's that's what it should be first and foremost and then if you get to a stage where you can commodify that in such a way that you can share it and also earn that's fantastic right. i mean that's you know but again it's there's stages to all of that and i think in line with this and not to get too far away but another question really i, I'm, I did want to add one thing before we get to sure, off, sure. off the topic is a, a, an example of an artist you know having influence is not is not a bad thing i've know we talked we've talked about this before and even using those influences and, and having them be obvious in your work is not a bad thing either. As, as long as the, the core of it is is original and you say, I know that artist, that's so-and-so. And that perfect example of a newer artist like that is um, Dos Diablos, because I can mm-hmm. see his stuff is totally unique to him. It looks like him. You recognize it right away. And this is why he's getting all, he's getting popular now is because his, his work is great. His work is just yeah. really good, but I can see that he's influenced by my work and I could see that he's in, influenced by like Michael Husser's work. Sure. I can know? see the Husser influence for sure. Yeah. And, but it doesn't look like he's ripping either of us off, you know? No, no, it's because no, he's, he's got, you know, the main thing is his own, he's got his own take on it. And well, it's, it's an evolution. I mean, again, it's like I said before, we evolve and the art form evolves and we evolve it and it evolves us and where it's right. a chicken and the egg thing. Right. So it's like, I mean, you can't pretend you're not influenced by these people, but if you're taking what they did and you're bending it and twisting right. it and adapting it because and altering it in new and refreshing ways, that's the name of the game. Yeah. And that's what art, all art is really, because there's no such thing as original a totally original idea because like you said everything we're we are formed from our experiences so mm-hmm. there's no one who's hasn't isn't inspired every artist go back forever in history has been inspired by other artists it's just the way it goes yeah. you just have yep. to you have to put some effort there is all to make sure it's right you know, right it's unique well and then own thing. and i'd like to i mean you know i would actually be curious i and i don't even you know this is an aside but i would be curious if people were to watch like chet's are i like to paint monsters what influences they would see that i have you know what i mean because mm-hmm. i i know my influences i'm quite well acquainted with my influences because they inform what i do there's no doubt about it they're like the you know the the 
people that did it, the cool stuff that I liked and I want to try to do it differently and fun, right. you know? Yeah. So I'd be curious if people would watch it and what they, you know, well, he's influenced by so-and-so, you know? Right. Or which, which documentary, other documentaries you mean? Kind of. Well, yeah. Other documentaries or directors right. or, you know, just, it, it would be, I'd be curious to know, you know, because I, I know who they are, but I, I wonder, I guess the yeah, point I, is, I wonder how superficial it is. I wonder how, how much other people are able to see, Oh, I see that, you know, mm-hmm. that's clearly influenced by this or by yeah, that. I've never watched it with thinking about that. Actually. I, I haven't, I haven't watched it in a long time either. So God, I haven't have either. You, um, you said you were going to watch it. You said you were going to watch it. I, I want to, I just haven't yet. I haven't <laughs> had time. I bet. No, really. I haven't had time. I wanted to watch it with Nathan when he was out here for his land of enchantment tour, but yeah. it was, we were just too busy, yeah. but nevertheless it, yeah. The, the influence thing is inevitable, like you said, but again, if you're, if you, you have to be able to find a way to utilize what you already know to do something that is you and, and you know, and that's, that's the thing. And when you know, you're doing the you thing, you'll know it. And that's right. the thing. It's not like you have to second guess it. You'll feel it. You'll know, you'll know it's yeah, you. Yeah. It'll probably be super uncomfortable. That's probably how you'll know, <laughs> you know, like maybe, most, yeah, maybe. I mean, for me, a lot of the time when I start really realizing I'm doing what I like to do, it's, it's not a, a comfortable feeling. Actually, right. it's an agitated feeling like, Oh shit, this is different. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I, I got another question for you. Yeah. 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 Are you ready to move? Do you want to? No, I was just going to say, I think it's, you know, also you'll, you know, you'll know inside, but also the feedback you get from other people will also help to inform you. Sure. Uh, sure. And and that's a good, if you're not sure, it'd be a good thing to ask. I think we've said this before too. ask people that you trust, ask their honest opinion, what they think, but okay, Mm -hmm. you can go, you can, you can. Oh yeah, that's cool. Um, The next question that I had was for artists out there that are trying to build collector groups, how do you go about getting collectors without poaching collectors? And I think that this is a really important topic when it comes to art etiquette and it comes to Mm -hmm. ethics ultimately um, within the, you know, the realm that we're dealing, you know, I've seen it happen. I know you've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'm not, you know, again, there's no names involved. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've, you know, I've watched it. I, I, so that's what I'm saying is, is like, I'm curious how an art, you know, an artist goes about building a collector base, you know, let's say that they're not showing in galleries and they're not in group shows, but they want to start showing their work and they want to start generating this. What's the proper way to go about doing that versus what's the improper way? Right. Cause we can talk about both the ways that that's done. <laughs> well, I've, you know, the way I've seen it done, I've, I, I saw, I'm not going to mention names, but I saw this one guy who I promoted at first, actually, I noticed that he went around and he was in, he joined all these different groups that I was in and started hawking his art to them. And, um, that kind of pissed me off really, especially after I'd gone just out of the kindness of my heart and I thought his work was cool. I I promoted him, you know, he didn't ask me to. And, um, so that's, I think that's really kind of shitty and, and, you know, that, that, but that partially might be because, you know, social media still is a new medium and, and there, you know, there aren't, a lot of real firmly cemented rules about what's right or wrong to do on social media when it comes to, especially when it comes to things like promotion and cause it's all, it's all like a new frontier. So, you know, I cut him some slack for that. You know, it might be something he didn't even really think about. Like it might be mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'm just going to go where I know this stuff is selling in these groups. But, um, you know, I, I, as far as a way to, Hmm. That's a good question. Really a way to get your own collectors. Um, you know, I think, I, I guess 
I, I would suggest the way I did it, which, which is just, you put the, put the work out there on social media and you just keep putting it out there and eventually people will start to notice. And, you know, if you have a, if you start to gain a small following, you can ask, Hey, can you share my work? You know, because if, you know, if another artist is posting things and it's similar, it's a, it's dark and it's maybe even similar to what I'm doing, but it's their own thing. Like Dos Diablos, for example, if people, if my collectors start buying his stuff, it's like, yeah, that's good. I'm glad that's great. Good. That's yeah. great. Great for him. And I think that's cool. And it's cool to be in, you know, collections where you, you respect the other artists, you know? And so I got nothing against, I'm not like, you know, Oh, you, you know, these are my collectors, but when you kind of, um, make a calculated move to go in and specifically target another artist and, and get their, their collectors, it's not going to bring about any, um, you know, good feelings, you know, for example, the guy, you know, hit me up a couple of times to share his work and I just, I didn't do it. And I well, would have, I would have, if he hadn't, if he hadn't done that, I would have. That's the thing like, I wanted yeah, to sure. bring up. That's the thing I wanted to bring up is that they're shooting them. They're doing as, as you said before, in a different topic, a disservice to themselves. Because the reality is this: the reason that that individual felt in my now, this is in my summation. You know, just I, I'm, I'm saying what I thought about this. I, you know, I don't really know, but my interpretation was that this individual didn't think that they could sell their work on their own. And that's because their work is very derivative. I mean, and if you and, and so if you are doing as we as we've suggested your original thing, and you're just working on your your technique, and you're working on speaking your true voice and being honest with yourself and being true to your art form, you know you probably shouldn't have to hustle some angle to get collectors and, right. and put yourself in a position where you're poaching collectors. Here's the sad thing, is that. Regardless of all the efforts that this individual went to to do that, because their work is derivative and their work is redundant, both mm -hmm. of those things, in the long term, none of those collectors are going to continue to want to get stuff because it's boring. It's not interesting. It's right. not fresh. It's not new. And the skill and the technique is also lacking. And that's that fear that pushed that person into the corner to feel they needed Could to be. hustle that Could angle be. to begin with. So I guess the point I'm making is now here this person comes to you to say, hey, help me out. Could you help me out? Right. And now you're like, you know, I totally would have, but now, no, I can't actually <laughs> yeah. because of dot, dot, dot. Right. So again, you, you know, if you're taking a shortcut, it may turn out to not be. Right. And, and that's the thing is, it, you know, again, we can always come back down to those basic main lines, yeah. do the work, put the work in. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there are no shortcuts. If you're, if you, if you, if you rise up quickly through the ranks, then just, you know, it's, you, you got lucky and that's cool, but mm -hmm. you need to go into this game expecting that it's going to take years it's going to take years to do and and it's just going to take time so don't even bother if you don't have the years to put in before you start selling stuff and get a collector base i wanted to bring um something up that's that's interesting too that's uh you know the, the, if you show in a gallery sometimes a collector will get find out about you through a gallery and so then, you know, they'll buy maybe some of your work through a gallery. And then in the future, the collector may hit you up without the gallery. And so, you know, some galleries are like, you should give us a cut because we got you connected you with this gallery. And now that's happening less and less nowadays because, you know, 90% of it is happening on social media. 
But and so I don't know that it's necessarily true that you should give the gallery a cut of a- everything you sell after that point. But it just should be at the very least, you should remember where you got your collectors from. Like, you know, I'm sure that there's people that um, have found me through Copro Gallery and that have contacted that have bought through the gallery and have contacted me later for direct sales. Now, I don't know, you know, have a list of who those people are, but if if I sell direct, I sell direct and I get the full price. And if I sell through the gallery, I'll get half of the price. But right. But because I know that that's the case, that's in certain cases that that Copro hooked me up. That is part of the reason I still do shows with them. And if they have, I, I, they have a bunch of my work in the back room. And if they sell it, I'm I'm cool with them selling. I try and basically. <clears throat> you know, accommodate them and work with them still rather than just like, fuck you guys, I'm out of here. Give me all my work back or, uh, right. you know, it, so it's, it's like, it's, uh, it's just something that I, that I'm aware of and I keep in mind because it's kind of lame really. You know, I think, I don't think it's reasonable to give a gallery 50% for the rest of your life because, <laughs> a person, right. you know, that seems a little extreme. But, you know, if, if you have a good relationship with the gallery and you really feel like that's the, you know, it's very specific that the, they found you through there and maybe the gallery worked really hard on your behalf to sell to them, you could offer the gallery a percentage if you if you have a good relationship with them. It's, you know, it's, it's all kind of up for grabs, but I, I do think that it's not cool to just... You know, you gotta you gotta pay them back in some way, and so mm-hmm. I do. I do a lot of stuff for Copro because you know, that's one of the reasons I do it. You know, is to try and pay it forward and and keep. You know, it's a give and take. You know, thing. Right. Where I, I support them. They support me, and 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 vice versa. So that's um, that's a a good thing to remember remember as well. You know, that old adage of remember treat people good on the the way up what's that that slogan that saying it got me on that one yeah treat treat people good on your way up because they're gonna be there on your way down to fuck you or something (laughs) it's it's much more eloquent than that but uh yeah i mean but it's true that you should as you're coming up you definitely got to be cool and and because you know you're not always going to be even if you make it to the top you're going to come down at some point because it really is cyclical and nothing lasts forever and things go up and down as far as sales go so there's going to be you know the, the more people you you screw with, it's going to come back and bite you in the ass in the end. So just as a general rule as an artist, you got to, you know, and we've said this before, be cool and easy to work with, you know, be be reasonable just because, you know, just because some asshole asked you to do something for free for exposure. Don't blow everybody off that maybe suggests that. There might be one right. in there that's worth it for you. You got to just kind of remain level-headed and not be emotional about it. It's like, yeah. you know, my example is the tool stuff. I think I said that before too. I did stuff for way cheap for them mm-hmm. early on because, um, you know, it was a, there was a lot of reasons because it's a cool project. I know it was going to be good because Adam was a friend of mine because um, I knew that I'd be able to, you know, use that to benefit my career. You know, it's a good, it was a good career move. So, you know, I could have just said, you know, I'm not doing this for 
for nothing for cheap or whatever. I'm not going to do it for that cheap. There's a time and a place for that. And uh, at that point in my career, it, it made sense to do that. So I don't know what the main point was, but. Well, I think that your main point was that you were talking about the fact that, you know, you have to ultimately remain open and and receive each individual that approaches you as an individual and not generalize that, oh, because, you know, this person asked me to help them out and I, you know, did and they screwed me over on it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it for another person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was your point. Yeah, you should always take it as, take everything on its own merits and, and, and judge it without emotion. Yeah, you know, because you might be screwing yourself. You you may be making this great point, you know, make standing up on this point that you really believe in, but it kind of screws you in the screws you in the long run. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to screw yourself in the long run. You want to benefit yourself in the long run. Yeah, yeah. You want you want as many intact bridges as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, a question about collectors. Uh, and more from a collector angle, since we're talking a lot about, well, what, what, how does art etiquette work with artists? What about with collectors? So for instance, I, I was recently talking to a collector and they had this concern that they, you know, might by, by getting involved with trying to buy a bunch of your work that they might feel, you might feel like they were trying to buy their way in. And so I thought that was an interesting kind of refreshing perspective. Cause again, I'm not a collector, I'm an artist, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think about it from the collector's perspective, but there are collectors with reservations, you know, that feel like, you know, what's the right way to approach kind of a bigger named, maybe quasi famous artist and what is the right etiquette so that they don't feel like, they're just buying their way in and that, that art, or, or does it, would an artist even care? I mean, each artist is different, so they're all going to have different feelings. But insofar as you're concerned with art etiquette, do, have you ever felt that way or would you be concerned about that? And, and collect, should collectors concern themselves with that? Um, not really. I mean, I, I haven't, all the collectors that I've formed relationships with business-wise or friendships even, you know, they've all been cool people that I like anyway. You know, I haven't had, I think that that would only be uh, noticeable if, if it was someone who was just, you know, a total asshole that, mm-hmm. that, that you could tell was trying to just get in on something or I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. I don't, I don't imagine that anybody is buying their way in to be my friend or being, being part of something. But I mean, I guess it's, it's possible, but, uh, I don't know because most you know artists are are so appreciative when someone buys at least I am but someone will put down money especially you know a couple grand or whatever on you and your artwork it's mm-hmm. you know I I it's I never go to oh I wonder if he's trying to get in with me I never think that <laughs> you know it's the last <laughs> I, I thing in my not. mind I'm like oh my god that's so cool somebody you know is willing to do that and you know I treat treat them accordingly because it's mm-hmm. you know that like they're, they're, uh, the reason I can keep doing it. So, um, sure. You know, uh, that's an interesting point though. I never really thought about it. See, I hadn't either. And that's why I brought it up because again, we're not collectors. And so it's like, we don't have that view, you know, and if one person has thought it, maybe more people would think it, but you it's know, kind of, it's something that you can do. I'm sure if you had money, you could be in, you mm-hmm. know, if you're, if you, if you have money and you're on your best behavior or you, you just act like a normal person, you kind of can buy your way into the club in a way as a collector, which isn't, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. It's just an interesting thing. I never really thought of if you, you know, if you wanted to be a part of something, especially in a, you know, cause people are art 
artists are so desperate for money, you know, usually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's, I think why it's an interesting topic to bring up because it's just one of those gray areas, you know what I mean? How about again, from a collector's perspective, how about like a negotiating value? Like they don't want to offend you by offering you less than maybe what it's rated at. You know, don't mind offending you, believe me. (laughs) (laughs) But for the ones that, but for the, or, or, or on the other end of the spectrum, for the ones that maybe have offended you that you, you know, maybe they should learn better manners. Either way, you get my point. Right. You know, I'd like to hear about that. Well, you know, it's, it's weird. I understand it because I don't have a lot of money. So I get that people want to deal. Basically there's that, that 20% deal that, uh, that I've mentioned before is that you really shouldn't go lower than 20%. That's the maximum discount you should give anybody. That's kind of standard and that's the most. So, you know, that's usually what I'll, the, the lowest I'll go because it's kind of this agreed upon standard that, you know, the whole art scene works on, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can negotiate a little more by saying you'll cover shipping. It's like that, this painting I posted today, which is Monday today, but it'll be airing uh, Wednesday, that skull with upside down jawbone. I got it at 20% off. So instead of 2,500, it's two grand, but I'm sweetening the deal by covering shipping and insurance, which is probably, you know, if it's in the U S it's going to be at least 50 bucks. So, um, you know, that's more than 20% technically. Now, Mm -hmm. um, other people who have commissioned me to do work that really want to deal, you know, it does, it gets, there's like someone, if someone wants a deal and makes an offer, I'm totally opening to hearing, open to hearing that. But there is a point where you start feeling like, well, basically you want something for free then. You want this, mm-hmm, you want all mm-hmm. this extra stuff for, for, for nothing. So Square why am I inches, Square yeah. inches of paint? <laughs> why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> what, what's the benefit of me giving you free stuff? You know, it's, and it's like, are you dangling this thing over my, this carrot in front of me in order to get something for cheaper? I mean, there's like a certain level that I feel is kind of disrespectful if you keep mm-hmm. pushing it and you, there's a certain line that you can cross and I've had people do it to me, but I, you know, I, like I said, I am as, as a person who, if it's someone who's really rich, it's a little more offensive, but if it's someone who's just kind of of average means, I totally get it. I understand yeah. it. Um, and, you know, and you can, I've negotiated where I've added to sweeten the deal. I've added the, the sketch and the study, Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. as part of the deal, mm-hmm. but I, you know, the truth is I find more often than not, the, at least the collectors I got, they want to pay the full price, which always blows me away. And mm. cause they, and, and, and a lot of them don't want to buy through a gallery because they want me to they want you them. to get all the money. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. really cool of them. It really, really, it's, it, 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 uh, speaks to their character. I think it's, it's really says a lot about a person when they would do something like that. On the other hand, though, I have to say that when I show a piece in a gallery, just, you know, for me personally, for collectors out there, just know that I want it to sell through that gallery because I, I, at this point in my career, I don't just do any art show that asks me, you know, I either Mm -hmm. have, you know, I'll sell it to them wholesale or I will work. It's like, a, you know, I do other kinds of business with like this Trekel show. You know, I put this skull piece in that Trekel show that didn't show. I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for Trekel because I have a relationship with them and they give me brushes and they're really good about 
promoting me and I promote mm -hmm. them. We have this kind of, you know, thing where we help each other out. And right. because I, I, um, they fucked me up a lot. I, I'm like, yeah, I'll do this show. Even though I don't have time, I, I, I did a special piece just for the show. So, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, as a collector, I, I, I'll have to, I, speaking directly to the correct collectors. I appreciate that you want me to get all the money and I think it's super cool and just commendable. But when I do show a piece in a gallery, it's cool. I, I don't mind it being bought through the gallery. I'll, you know, cause, cause for that 50% I'm missing, there's something else I'm getting out of it because I'm supporting like a friend of mine or a gallery I believe in or a show mm -hmm. I believe in, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And so, you know, what for, about for what it's with, worth. with collectors? Like, uh, can they ask for payment plans? Is that in your world? Does that seem yeah, like a reasonable that, etiquette? Yeah, that is, that's kind of a new, a newer thing, I think, or maybe it's not, but it seems like it's part of this new social media landscape and this new economy that we're in. And with the, the rise of people of average means collecting art now is that you can mm -hmm. do payment plans. And yeah, for artists, I do payment plans all the time. And for um, artists, I totally recommend doing payment plans. You know, you should always do, you just get a deposit up front. It could be 50%. I prefer to do 50% up front, but sometimes the person is not 50%. So just make sure it's kind of substantial and then uh, enough to where they can't leave you hanging after you created the piece and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, figure but out. You know, another thing you could do probably is you could like, cause I do invoicing on PayPal and it's super easy and it's a way that where you could say they can pay partial. So you could bill them for 2000 and they could pay you 500 and it'll still show the remaining right. balance. And it's oh, a way to cool. document that process where then they have an invoice and you have an right. invoice and it's reconciling itself. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I know that Copro just started using this thing called art money, which is a credit like a credit account, a credit card, basically for art sales. It's a really cool idea and, and it's really affordable. It's like you put, I think you have to pay 10. No, you pay 10% and then you have nine months to pay the rest of it off. Mm -hmm. And the gallery immediately gets the money and the credit card company takes, a, takes a piece out because mm -hmm. that's how they get paid so that the gallery gets paid mm -hmm. and then the artist gets paid right up front and then it's just between and then you get the artwork right away and then you continue to make payments to the this art money credit company that's cool which is great man i think it's like i hate credit but uh you know it does there are some benefits to credit and you know it's and if you're reasonable and responsible with it you know you could own some amazing pieces of art by using it yep. or by yep. but like i said even as a uh setting up payment plans it's it's great man if you and yep. as an artist it seems like oh i'm only gonna get 200 dollars a month from this guy or 150 a month well you get that shit adds up yeah get 10, <laughs> get 10 of those going you know I, then, right now i'll put it this way if i was getting 150 a month from just one person that would make a difference you see what i'm saying right, so like right. most of the people out there that are on that level you know that means that means something so yeah it's like okay you just think 150 bucks whatever but think about how much 150 bucks really could afford you if you're living you know right at that edge right, it, yeah. it can afford you a lot it's or the difference if, between but, gas in your car and food on your table yeah. let's put it that well way. i'm just saying but even even so if you approach approach it strategically and hustle up five to ten, say 10 commissions 
Yeah, at 150 exactly. a month, you got 1500 a month coming in. That's great. Exactly. And, yeah. um, and then if you just put the work in and you actually follow through and you manage your time properly, yeah. ultimately you'll be able to, you know, follow through and continue to afford to have those people because they'll be like, shit, they nailed it. You know, now I want them to do more work for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think it's great. And I think it's kind of the future because it allow it also allows people, regular people to buy art. You know, which is I like I I always say I can't afford my own paintings, but I could you know probably afford 150 a month or something for some amazing piece that I absolutely love, and you can get pretty substantial pieces. So, as I would say to collectors, you know, don't be afraid to um, approach artists with payment plans because you mm -hmm. know, like I know a lot of artists do it, and I do it, and um, for artists, I also um, you know I know a lot of people just go after people they know have some money. You know, mm -hmm. but I don't think, I think, you know, I just think that's not, if you're lucky, if you get some of those people and I've got collectors like that, that have maybe more money than, than the average person, but, you know, assume that everybody's as broke as you and then offer, you know, plans that something mm -hmm. you could afford, you know, just be open. The, the more open you are to making deals like that, the more work you're going to get, you know, and the more you're going to be able to support yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's the whole point. I mean, that's what we're talking about here is mm -hmm. supporting yourself with mm -hmm. your artwork. So and doing it in a way that's not going to cause undue harm to anyone else in the process or to yourself for that matter. Right. You know, right. I mean, really, it's, it's the name of the game. Well, you know, I'm curious, Chet, what your thoughts are. One of the things that we've noticed that's kind of a new trend as well that's interesting in regard to artists and kind of shifting farther back away from collectors into the artist zone here. But, you know, Patreon's become this big thing. You and I are building a Patreon for this dark art society thing, which is of course still in the works and we're still pinning it down. But nevertheless, we're working on one. I'm running a little one for emails from infinity. We've seen some other artists run them. You know, how do you feel about the way in which people are in some cases, you know, pulling all of their work out of free social media and making it, you know, monetizing all the previews to their work versus, you know, saying, okay, well, now that I have all these patrons, I'm not, you know, if you want to see my work, you have to pay for it versus, you know, still, still taking an effort to get with the regular people yeah. as it were that aren't dropping that money. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm always going to be marketing and, you know, showing my work and entertaining or whatever you want to call it to people that aren't paying just because, I think it's just smart and I think it's um uh it's a good thing to do for free, you know. I think it adds to people's lives. I think it benefits you business-wise cuz it brings in new clients. It's just kind of a win win-win if you're offering your stuff to view for free on social media. Um that's that's why I think Patreon should give you something that you can't get on social media that mm -hmm. you couldn't get anyway. You know, mm -hmm. like, you know, physical objects or prints or um i don't know whatever mm -hmm. t-shirts and stuff um but uh, yeah i think it's that's that's my only thing about patreon that i don't like is that a lot of artists i see will get on patreon and they're just fucking gone it's like they spent all these people have invested their time with you on, a, on a, this free platform and you're giving them artwork and they're giving you feedback and they're actually buying from you and you're selling to them and blah, blah. And, and it's this cool little relationship. So they're, they're part of the, part of the, the creative dynamic, so to speak. Right. Right. And then when these, you know, people just head over to Patreon and get a bunch of 
Patreon people to support them, then they're just gone from social media. And I just think, you know, it's kind of lame for the people that were there from the beginning. And it's really lame for people who can't afford some people can't afford a dollar or five dollars, right. you know, right. you know, most people can probably, but you know, you don't know everyone's financial situation. So it's kind of, not only is it dumb from a business standpoint, it's kind of lame. I I'm always going to feel this loyalty to the, the free social media audience that got me to where I am. So I'm definitely, I'm always going to kind of keep supplying that. I just have to figure out when we, when we do this Patreon or any projects in the future, I would always want to figure out something, the, something I could give more that would be really be worth the money. You know, yeah, I just, I yeah, just think exactly. I just, uh, that's the one aspect of it. I think that people should consider when doing a Patreon is that you really should keep in touch with people outside of the Patreon. You know, I, I understand it makes sense that you want to, I don't know, be maybe be there for them. People that are actually laying money down. That makes sense because they're, you know, hard earned money. They're putting their hard earned money down. So you want to, you know, be more interactive or be there with them and offer them more things. But at the same time, you know, I don't know. It just, it seems like you can do both pretty easily. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's the key is that, well, I guess the point you're really driving at is that, you know, the the goal shouldn't be ultimate hyper commodification. You know, that's not, you know, you're not trying to be McDonald's. You're not trying to be Walmart here. That's not the goal. And if it is, then I don't know. I'm scared for you, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, and then maybe that's just my own problem. But the reality is that's not what we're doing. We're we're selling our original thing and we want to do it honestly. And we want to do it in the true nature that it is intended, which is that we are, we are, giving something away that we created with out of nothing. And you are giving us the time and energy that you devoted to create that currency. And that is an equal exchange, you know, that right. the whole idea of reciprocal altruism, you know, mutual beneficence. This is, this is what we're talking about. Cooperation. Again. Right. So all these ethics, all of this etiquette, all of this, this ideology, this is just me and Chet talking about what we think. Right. And y'all have to make all your own decisions about it. But at the end of the day, we hope that you see at least some of the intelligence if not the wisdom of some of these ways of being, because clearly Chet has been successful as a result of it. I've been dovetailing off what he does because, you know, he's kind of my mentor. He's my authority figure on that level. And it works. It works because it's working for me too, you know? So I, I would encourage other people to try it. And if you're, you know, if you're off a little bit here or there, just make some adjustments. No one's calling you out. You know, and, and, you know, we are kind of, we're at an over an hour, so we should probably wrap things up. Uh, but this is really about a greater issue really uh or it kind of points to a greater issue that i was going to bring up anyway so this kind of works but um you know we've been talking liz after the show uh with liz yesterday i talked to her for a little bit after on skype after we were done recording and um one thing she brought up is uh, we were talking about the dark art movement and she was really into it you know because she's sort of separated herself She's, she's, you know, if you could tell from the interview, she's kind of like, she's clearly disenfranchised with with the lowbrow pops. And she's taken a step back. And, um, you know, I was just talking about, you know, how big this thing is this, it's, it's this big thing that hasn't, you know, that's kind of bubbling up under the surface. And one thing she suggested, and I talked to you about it and you've, you said you've been thinking about it all along anyway. And I've thought about it from time to time, but never really like put a lot of time in, but the idea of, of, you know, putting a manifesto together. Yeah. And and these are a lot of these, I think ethical issues are something that, you know, 
that maybe should be incorporated into some kind of manifesto, a dark art manifesto. And I think that, um, you know, ultimately, for better or for worse, we're kind of leading this charge with this podcast and we're putting the effort into trying and turn this into something quote unquote legit or whatever. Yeah. But um, so decisions are going to be made. <clears throat> you know, I'm going to, I'm kind of like the benevolent dictator, I suppose you could say, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's I, just because just, just for practicality's sake at this point, it's, it's easier to just kind of have somebody guiding this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, you and I talk, but we also, we talk to the fans and we, yeah, we, and we talk to everybody, take the temperature <laughs> of what they're thinking. So as we formulate, you know, kind of a, a dark art manifesto, I would love to hear, I know you've got your thoughts and that's probably something that, that that'd be actually be a great episode talking about be. the dark art manifesto, but yeah. um, I would love to hear what the fans and the other artists are thinking about it. You know, absolutely, uh, and and we could, you know, basically kind of gather everything together and sort of figure out, you know, what this thing is. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. And and, and well, and, and like I, I said, I a just, lot of these I issues. I want to cut in real. Go ahead. Oh, um, just real quick, a lot of these issues. That that's just something to think about. That you know how how more how much is this kind of ethics involved in this? Is it just the visual? What dark art is visually, and then keep right. the ethics out, or is there an ethical component to it and And that's like the thing is that you and i had this conversation the other day before we even you know when we were trying actually chad and i and i won't go into the details here but chad and i were trying to decide what we were going to record today what topic it was and he and i had some kind of edgy topic discussions that we were trying to decide and we ultimately we were like well i don't know how far we want to go into that but at the same time inevitably we're going to go into it a little bit or we're not and those are the choices either either the ethics informs part of what this organization is or it doesn't right and there those two sides of that coin mean very different things as per our earlier conversation right, right? If, if you know if anyone is allowed what does that mean if if you know only certain people are allowed what does that mean and these are different things and so again i'm glad you're bringing it up it's good for people to hear it and to let them know that we are interested in what they have to say because that's what we're trying to do is help facilitate right. you know you and i are, are facilitators right that's what well, i've try, always done try, for you yeah and I, but wait, wait 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 one sec i also I also want to speak to your benevolent dictator commentary for the people listening because you know I have been under the under the the uh, subtle root. Uh, uh, um, what am I trying to say? You know, direction of this benevolent big dictator that is Chet Czar for <laughs> five years now. And it's not like it's overt. And that's why I say subtle. And I was at a loss for words because it doesn't even feel that way, but it's true because basically Chet has like ultimate kind of carte blanche where, you know, and it's the truth because when I work with him, I'm working with his brand and I'm working with his name and I'm working with his artwork. And even with the film, it's all a representation of what he's doing. And so I always gave you that quarter where it's like he has ultimate say. It's just like, you know, he's got executive control. And the thing is, is that I I can just speak to that, to the people listening, that he will always lead you right. You know, that's the thing. Chet really takes time and he also listens to the people around him and he he confers with his, you know, close disciples and the various (laughs) other people that are his partners and that are his, even the people that he are his mentors because he has people in his life, you know. So anyway, he takes all that into account and he has a very uh, uh, even-handed 
perspective on things. And as you've, I'm sure, noticed throughout the podcast, Chet is ever the pragmatist. So, you know, you can trust him. That's the one thing I can say. You can definitely trust Chet that he's not going to lead this astray, but also be glad you have someone willing to step up and do it because I sure as hell wouldn't want to be that guy <laughs> or girl. Well, so thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I, I, to me, it's a matter of uh, practicality. You know, just to get things going at this point, you know, someone's just got to kind of step in and go, okay, let's see ever the pragmatist (laughs) (laughs) per my point. But, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, if it feels weird saying it, but it's, you know, it's kind of true. And, and I, and I just, I, I, I know that I'm not going to fuck it up. You know what I mean? And I, and I think, you know, too. Um, I just know it. I, I know that I can do this and, um, I'm not, I'm not in it for some big power thing. I just, I want to see this thing happen. The same thing you do. I, I want to see this thing happen. I want to do this. Whoa, just knocked my drink over. I want to do this for, um, all of us, you know, I want this yes. for all of us to, to get, to get something out of this thing. So, um, Anyway, that's why I said that. And and you it's know. an interesting discussion, though. So I think you've turned people on to the idea that you know maybe they can have some input, and not only maybe can they, but yes, they will, and that's mm-hmm. the whole point. Absolutely. Again, we're facilitators, you know. So give us your feedback. Let us know what you think. I mean, do you know this? These are all weird topics for us, and we're just in you know uh, encountering them as we move forward through the discussion ourselves. It's a process that is happening for us and evolving, just like you guys. Right, so right. we don't know any better, other than what we can do is just take the time and effort and expertise that we have and apply it to again, help helping to facilitate this thing effectively. Right. And, and this is, um, you know, it's funny because we we can wrap it up now, but, um, it just made me think how, uh, this is basically how great art is made, how we're kind of doing this movement, which is you take a few steps toward the thing. Like if you're going to make a painting, you start it. You see where it leads you and you keep following it, even though you're not sure where it's going to end up, but you have the faith in yourself and whatever power is working through you that, you know, it's going to be good. And that's mm-hmm, basically mm-hmm. where, you know, what we're doing with this thing. We don't have this grand master plan, which is like every right. time we get together, it just, it, it evolves a little bit more. It grows a little bit more. More people are, uh, get involved with it. We get more feedback from people and we learn more mm-hmm. all the time. And so we're just kind of like, it's an act of faith, really. It's an act of, you know, you could, if you even, you know, you, if you're, I would say it's sort of like, uh, personally, I would say it's like you're, you're basically trying to, um, you know, follow, uh, follow your nose <laughs> in a way you're, you're just, you're, <clears throat> you're putting your trust in something outside of yourself. You see something mm-hmm. happening and you're going, okay. It's, Cause that's how I feel about this whole thing. It's like this, in a way this, we noticed this thing was happening and we decided let's follow this and mm-hmm. try and cultivate mm-hmm. it and see where it goes. Yeah, that's what I was saying when I was making the documentary. Is like I just want to follow the story. I just want to follow mm-hmm. the documentary. It'll tell me where. I'll just right. follow it and that's wherever I, it's headed. And that's and I know you feel this way, and I feel that way that we're we're being led by something, and you know we know when we do something wrong, you can kind of tell, and and, yep. we're, and we're just trying to follow it as best we can. And and it, you know if you're a religious person, you could say you're following God. If you're mm-hmm you know, uh, more, uh, uh, more of a, you know, airy fairy like me, you're kind of saying that you're, you know, following this 
intelligent energy, which I guess is the same thing. That's it, yeah, it feels you, like whether you want to call it God or, or the universe yeah. or Allah or Jah or any other, you know, great spirit, or whatever the, you want to call it. The art spirit, you know, maybe yeah, it's right. the art God that we're following, but it does feel like this thing is being led. And so I don't know. It's just really super exciting, super fun, really, really one of the most exciting things I've ever been involved with. I really feel like, cause we don't know what's going to happen. And yeah, it could be this really. See, that's why it's so fun. That's I why know. I love thinking of the documentary about you is because, yeah. like, life is writing the script for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love writing books and screenplays and figuring it out. And there's some improv on the, you know, with with actors and stuff. But man, it's life is writing the script. And it's right. like, how powerful? Because that's what's happening all the time anyway. Why try to make it up? Why try to emulate it? It's happening right now right. here in front of you. <laughs> yeah. So just go with it. Just go with yes. it, you know? Well, this has been a great episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening to us and our random diatribes as well as our pro tips and, you know, our our, uh, strange wanderings together. And we'll definitely be interested to uh, see what's going to happen on the next Dark Art Society podcast since we just kind of come up with these as we go along. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, feedback, please. Any comments, especially about the manifesto or any ideas you have that you think are worth considering just throw them out there on facebook or on soundcloud or uh, sure. you know share share the podcast if you can and you know yeah that's it all the good stuff all the good so stuff. we'll catch you guys next wednesday thanks for listening yes thank you and we will talk to you soon peace <laughs>